More than 60 years ago in a seaside town in California, something strange happened. The residents of the town woke up one fine morning to find thousands of seabirds diving towards their homes and their cars, and many of them came crashing against the walls of their houses and window panes. And just before many of these birds fell down, half-eaten fish and algae fell right out of their mouths. A very famous movie director called Alfred Hitchcock was inspired by this event and he also made a movie called The Birds. It took scientists more than 50 years to figure out why these seabirds had lost their way and why did they dive bomb into cars and homes. Scientists guessed that some kind of poisoning had entered the food chain of birds and had travelled right up to these seabirds and possibly affected their brains. In today's episode, we talk about how each one of us can help create a world that is safer for birds. And that is by participating in a joyous four-day event called the Great Backyard Bird Count during which people from anywhere in the world can go right out into their backyards or take a stroll near a forest or a marshland near where you live and record what birds we see and update them in a database that scientists from around the world can use. This episode is part two of a two-part podcast series on the Great Backyard Bird Count or the GBBC as it's called. Hi there, you're listening to What's New Today, a kids and family podcast about current events shaping our world. This is Sangeeta, your host from India. And in today's episode, I'm joined by three super curious children from different parts of the world and one very curious adult who also happens to play a very important part in the great backyard bird count. So let me introduce you to my co-host for today. Hi, my name is Shravan. I'm from Singapore and I'm nine years old. Hi, my name is Tanvi. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. I'm 10 years old. Hi, my name is Razia. I'm from India and I'm 11 years old. Hi, I am Becca Radomsky-Bish and I live outside of Ithaca, New York in the United States. I work at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology and I am the project leader for the Great Backyard Bird Count. Welcome all of you to this show. Let's dive right into some of the questions kids have written in about birds in general. But there are some specific questions that Becca might be able to help us about how to participate in the GBBC. And here's the first question. Hi, I'd like to participate in the GBBC. But if I did see a bird out in my backyard and if I did not know what bird it was, how do I identify that bird? I know Tanvi, Shravan and Adya have tried identifying birds using some apps. What do you think these kids could do? We go to a bird app like eBird or Merlin Bird and just show the fo- upload the photo there. They'll tell you exactly which bird it is. I used the Merlin app this morning and I was describing the crow. It was, it was sparrow size. It was like a brownish color. And then it came that it was a Eurasian tree sparrow. If you're describing it, it'll be correct. So at school, we used an app called iNaturalist. Our teacher said it was like a giant science community where you just upload a picture of an animal and it'll tell you like the species 
Wow. All of this sounds really interesting. Becca, how do you go about it? So the way that I learned how to identify birds was actually using a bird ID book. Um, before Merlin existed and before iNaturalist existed, when I was getting into birds about 20, more than 20 years ago, that's what I, I used. I used a bird ID book for my area and I would look it up um, based on the color and the size of the bird, just like Merlin helps you walk through. Um, and that's how I originally learned how to ID books. And those still exist. And sometimes what's nice about those books is that they're specific to regions. So you don't get every possible bird imaginable, right? You can get uh, birds very close to where you are residing. Um, and then in terms of entering the data, so people that are IDing birds in Merlin, when they get to sort of the end of their workflow, and, and usually Merlin will give you a handful of options about what possible bird you're seeing. Um, if you click, this is my bird, that counts as participation in the Great Backyard Bird Count. So you only really need to ID one bird, um, walk through the Merlin uh, workflow once, and you are you participated in the Great Backyard Bird Count. Now, you can't tell us how many you saw. So a lot of people get excited to say, ah, I saw 10 Eurasian tree sparrows, and I want to tell you about all 10. Um, so if you want to tell us the numbers, using the eBird app is the other option. And there's a phone version of that, or there's an online computer version of it. Similar, you walk through questions, you tell us where you are, when you saw the bird, time, and so forth. And, um, and then you can enter the bird and the number of that bird that you saw. How do you count the, the number of birds if they're in a flock? I love that you're asking that question. That's a pretty um, mature bird watching question. Not everybody uh, thinks about that because flocks are tricky to count. What I tell people to do is depending on whether you're looking at them with your, your own just eyes or whether you're looking at them in a binocular, whatever your vision is, I tell people to kind of break that line of vision up into four quadrants. So almost like you're making a piece of pie and count the amount of birds in just one of those four quadrants. Um, so maybe you count 20 and then you multiply that number by four, right? So 20 by four, 80. Um, and we realize that the people on the Cornell lab end of the, uh, end of the tools realize that people are making estimates about flocks. And so we have sort of our own ability to, um, to massage that data a little bit and know that some of the bigger flock numbers that people enter are, are estimates and that's a-okay. Um, we're not asking for exact precision, just a, just um, sort of a general count is the best way to go there. So how do you know that you're not counting the same bird twice? Great question. You don't always know, especially if you're counting birds from your bird feeders, because um, I think Tanvi says she's in Ohio. Um, you probably have black check capped chickadees where you are, which I have in my feeders, and they go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Um, and you're just counting as many of that of those species that you see in the 15 or 20 or hour, however long you're watching your birds. And it's okay if you are counting the same bird more than once, you're just recording how many times you saw that type of bird in the window of time that you're watching. And again, when we download this data, as a scientist use this data, they realize that there will be redundancy in some of the birds based on area, based on just people who are reporting birds. And so they can they can um, weave in sort of changes to their to their mathematical analysis to account for possible redundancies. 
those were some really thoughtful questions about how to enter the information uh, once you've counted all the birds in your backyard now i've got another question from a 7 year old listener who's written in what would happen to the world if there were no birds at all um well for the start the food chain would collapse insects would crawl up and get it too much in number and all the animals and plants would die there would be um, no protein for us eggs gave us proteins <laughs> um so actually things that birds eat would become invasive and things that eat birds would become endangered cuz they would actually be they wouldn't have enough food source or if they eat other things they would go after the other things they eat more and the other things they eat would become endangered I love how scientific all of your minds are because when you asked this question the first thing that my mind went to was what a boring world <laughs> no songs no bird songs no beautiful plumage and colors flitting around so my mind even though i'm technically considered the scientist my mind went to just life wouldn't be as colorful or sound as fun um without birds so you all are ahead of me with the science <laughs> but no i i agree there would be definitely collapse of certain food chains for sure um we would definitely have an overabundance of insects um because there's many 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 uh birds that consume insects and that's actually one of the reasons why um many animal populations are decreasing right now unfortunately and birds and insects are one of those um and we're seeing those declines going going down at the same time man i don't want to live in a world without birds myself i don't know about you all neither would i it would be a really drab world and here's a third question and this is about how we feed birds many of us have seen people feed birds you know they may even have bird feeders in their gardens do you think feeding birds in your gardens is a good idea or perhaps not well i th- i think it's actually a very good thing because um if you give if you feed the birds then they'll get they'll be able to lay more eggs and they'll get more food without having to worry about their mate and their eggs i think it could be both good or bad because actually when i get bird feeder bags the big bags of bird food on the back it has the species that like or eat that kind of bird food if another kind of bird eats it then what would happen sometimes in india they put uh, rice for the for the some mostly crows but sometimes other birds come and eat it i mean the crows can find their own food but and so by feeding all those crows we help the crow population stay stable is that right so beka i've long been feeding birds in my own backyard but i've heard very conflicting views about whether this is a good practice or not so is there a right or a wrong way to go about this 
Yeah, it's a good question. And all of your ideas are excellent. And it's a question that a lot of scientists have been asking too, especially in the United States and Canada, where a lot of people feed birds. And perhaps that is true where you all are calling in from too. Um, so here is the short answer. There's no scientific research that we've been able to point to yet that says it's bad for birds. Um, but there's also not overwhelming evidence that we can point to that says it's good for birds. So it's one of those things that it just seems like it kind of has a neutral effect. And um, so the, the one potential dangerous thing about feeding birds is that diseases can be passed at bird feeders sometimes. And so if there's outbreaks of disease that could be transmitted on bird feeders, that's where we have to be cautious and we have to take our feeders down pretty quickly, soap, um, water, clean them, make sure they're very clean and not put them back up until until the signs are, are passed that the birds are not struggling with that illness anymore. So that's the one reason why bird feeders can be uh, dangerous, literally, that we've been able to point to. But in terms of providing the food, it seems like it's an okay thing to do. It's not necessarily helping birds, but it's also not hurting birds in terms of providing food itself for them. Hmm, that's a really interesting learning. All right, one last question from my side. If you acquired some magical superpower by which, you know, you could turn yourself into a bird, which one of these two would you prefer? Would you prefer being a migratory bird, travel long distances, see new places and meet new birds, but you may or may not find food easily? Or would you rather be one of those birds that usually stays in just one place where you are reasonably assured of your food supply? This is a hard question because I like uh, I like staying in one place, but I also want to go see around the world. But do I have to be on top of the bird or can I just be the bird? Yeah, either option works. So I'll I'll have to uh, I'll rather sit on top of the bird because I want to see the the entire world. And if I become a migratory bird, uh, the one sorry, no, non-migratory bird, the ones that don't migrate, just stay in one place. The one place I would stay in would be probably the US because it has a lot of food. A lot of food? Yeah. <laughs> so there are a lot of terms and conditions attached to your choice. Yeah. Tanvi? I think I'd stay in one place because I'd rather have something easy. And like Shavan said, in the U.S., they have more protection for birds. So, yeah, I just live in a bush or a tree near a bird feeder. That's what the birds that live in my bush do. Hmm, very interesting choice. What about you, Adya? Okay, now I'm getting conflicted because I like having a steady food source and, and having like a, like one home. But at the same time, I like to explore. But if you could choose only one? I choose to be on top of a migratory bird. Hmm, an adventure seeker. Pekka, do you have a choice? I would be a migratory bird. I know it's a high-risk life. Uh, it's treacherous to move from place to place every season, but you get to see a lot more of the world when you're a migratory bird. And it's interesting, you all would stay in the United States. You know where I'd go? straight to the tropics <laughs> i'd go to tropical areas 
And I know India has a growing population of people that are feeding birds. Birds have become a real, I mean, India, I don't know if you all know this, but um, the United States submitted the most checklists, but India was second last year for the most checklists submitted during GBBC. It was incredible. Um, so there's many places around the world where people love birds and are feeding them, and there's a lot of policies to protect birds. I have a question for Becca. What will we get if we shoot down birds? You know, I get why they shoot down animals for the flesh. Birds like uh, sparrows or parrots, what do they get from those kind of birds? You know, it's a very good question. Most birds um, in the U.S., it's it would be illegal to shoot a bird down out of out of the um, sky or its environment. Um, and then, in terms of eating them, not a whole lot. The birds that are traditionally eaten in the United States are um, wetland birds. So ducks are sometimes shot and consumed yeah. for for me. Turkeys. I was going to say turkeys. Thanksgiving, our traditional Thanksgiving bird. Um, and then, of course, people raise chickens um, and pheasants for, for meat. But your sort of average songbird, there just wouldn't be very much meat there to eat. Um, what's the rarest bird that's ever been recorded in the GBBC? Wow, that's a really hard question. I'll admit that I've only been managing GBBC for... Um, this will be my fourth year, and it's been going for 26 years. So I can't speak to the years before I was uh, directly involved. Um, but last year, we saw a couple of birds. Mostly these are birds that have gotten off track. They're normal migratory sort of places. Um, so we saw we had a reporting in Canada of a Stellar's sea eagle last year that was really excite, exciting. People um, in different parts of Canada, down into um, parts of um, North America, the United States, Maine, were able to see this bird. And this bird is normally found um, on the coastal areas in Japan um, and in North Korea and Mongolia and Russia. So it was way far away from places that it was normally seen. And this does happen for birds. Sometimes birds just get off their roots um, or they decide like you all were talking about, maybe they're just gonna go someplace else and try another area and see what they can see. Um, so birds sometimes do that too. And that sighting last year was very exciting for people in Canada and the United States to be able to see a bird that normally you'd have to get on an airplane and fly really far away to be able to catch a glimpse of. On that very exciting note that we could all sight some really rare birds during our great backyard bird count, it's a great opportunity for all of us to step out of our homes anytime during this four days, February 17th to 20th, for even as short an interval as just 15 minutes. Note down what birds you see and upload them in the database. If you'd like to know links to which apps you can download to be able to record your observations, uh, we've left links to these in the show notes below. And thanks all of you for being such a wonderful part of today's conversation and a very big special thanks to Becca for being such a great sport and answering several of these offbeat questions. Wonderful to meet you all. I loved it. And that brings us to the end of this episode. If you enjoyed this banter between Shravan, Tanvi, Adya, Becca and I, 
you just might find what's new today podcast channel one of the easiest and the most fun filled ways of catching up on interesting news stories around the world new episodes drop every monday and friday please do click the follow and subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast and while you're at it could we also request you to leave us a rating and a review that really helps us grow our listener base have a great day and thanks for listening